Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep. It's Prayer by Dwayne W. Rimmel. This was first published in a fanzine called The Fantagraph. Uh, let's see, it was... I had it here handy. Oh, yes. Uh, November, December 1935. It's never been republished. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you'd you never heard of it. I'd never heard of it until uh, I, I found it in the magazine and... I've read some of Dwayne W. Rimmel's other stuff, uh, usually collaborations with H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, I thought this is deeply interesting because I didn't know what it meant. I'm still not <laughs> sure I know what it means. But it, I, I really, I think I'm striving towards meaning. And uh, in that striving, I think there's some, some value. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to read it. I'd love it, Jesse. All right, here it goes. It's Prayer by Dwayne W. Rimmel. A grisly hand raised to the sky in awful supplication, weaving dreams of elder worlds with rhythmic incantation. Spectral fingers clutched in vain at entities unbounded, where star spawn swirl in endless night through spaces yet unsounded. Weak limbs rise and sway and fall upon a lifeless planet and strive with fruitless straining arms to reach the void and span it. The hand is graven in the earth in mold that never darkens save when it wrenches free its hold or to the west wind hearkens. It flaps about and stretches up into cloudy distance but cannot reach those nightmare realms without a ghoul's assistance. And yet, at last, it soared indeed, all stars and worlds eluding, this thing men thought, a wind-torn weed, through two long weeks of brooding. I want to note that the two is T-O-O, through two long weeks of brooding. It, it, it seems completely impenetrable. <laughs> what is it? And what is it praying for? Um, do you have any ideas? Because I have ideas, but only after repeated attempts. Well, I do. Um, but um, I, I think one of the, the reasons this poem interests me is that it does take chewing. Oh, yeah. Um, There is insufficient specificity, both of the central it and of the context, that one has, I think, a, a sense that allegorization is reasonable. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, this could be a this or this could be a that and this could be. But I think what makes the poem most interesting is that even at least in my reading of it or my the the reading I have finally come to so far, um, there's no allegory at all. Hmm. It is 
it ultimately becomes quite specifically this thing. It just happens to be a thing without a name. Mm. Um, and so it, it plays with my sense of how poetry should work. Uh, and I like that. I like that very much. I think that uh, we can, this is a little, it doesn't prove anything, but if you look at the company that he keeps. That's right. Um, Wolheim is the editor of this fanzine, fanzine, and not only do we have Dwayne Rimmel, who, as you inform us, often collaborated with Lovecraft, but we also have Lovecraft. And we also have in this very same issue, Clark Ashton Smith, one of the great followers of Lovecraft. Um, and, and we have somebody who is listed simply as a weird tales author. And yeah. my guess is that's going to be Wolheim again. Um, or if not Wolheim, it'll be Clark Ashton Smith, both of whom turned out a lot of stuff. Um, they may not want to just have their name be everywhere here because Wolheim's name itself comes up later in this very small table of contents, short, but it's got a high ratio of people who are known for Lovecraftian interests. When I was growing up, the people who introduced me to Lovecraft, it was wonderful. Um, a fellow uh, took me into his bedroom. Um, now that I look back on it, I wonder if he had other designs, but they never came to pass. Um, this was a bad guy about 25 years older than I was. I was a, a young teenager. And he showed me his handwritten copy of the Necronomicon. What? <laughs> uh, it, tur it turns out, at least in, in those days in New York, there was a group of people so devoted to Lovecraft that they would cull through all of his writings and find what they could as of hints to the actual contents of what the Necronomicon would be, that strange otherworldly book that was written by the mad Arab Abdul al-Hazred. And so the very first time I got to see Lovecraft's writing, it was in a red leather bound um, handwritten journal that this fellow had used to continue to expand his copy of the Necronomicon. That, that sense of trying to make present in our lives something that comes at one remove, right, through the book, uh, you know, um, and the stories that tell of the book, at one or more removes from a realm that we just cannot see. We just don't understand. I mean, you think of Lovecraft's great stories, the color out of space. It's it's a color, you know. I mean, we what are these things, creatures, and so on? That's the kind of realm, I think, that its prayer puts us into. And it could well be one of the kinds of creatures that exist in this Lovecraftian world, uh, or I should say universe, of ill-defined things which are all the more specific and powerful for that. You know, and behind me I heard its feet padding. Mm. What, whatever that might be. And I think this is one of those things, but it goes further than that. And, and I have some ideas, but I, I, I'm talking too long. I'd like to hear some of yours before I jump back in. I, I, I love that story you told that. That's, uh, I, I've heard of such books. I just, um, and they're not usually handwritten there. No, vanity press, um, publications designed to, you know, have the, have the shelf 
look on the shelf and oh my god he's got a copy of the necronomicon right <laughs> just it's the thickness of the book is the important important part the oldness of the cover you know because the interior contents are hard to imagine but that it's actually funny because that's how i think of uh i think of myself when i'm finding these magazines and putting them up online i think of myself as uh, a very lovecraftian character who's you know searching out a very hard to find book and and the subject of that book is lovecraftian materials you know um and you're you're right um that article by the way uh written by weird tales author is very funny um it's called it's called how i get my inspiration and uh it's just a one-page joke basically about how (laughs) how you can get your stories published in weird tales um and he says you don't actually need to write it in human blood uh, but you need to you must exercise a vocabulary practice using such words as anthropolith viceptualture uh, <laughs> necrocosmic <laughs> necrocosmic <laughs> tetro t- tetrotological and anthropomorphosis <laughs> noctala- noctambulist nictath phobia and nictaloptic i'm not sure some of these are real words <laughs> I'm sure. I, you know i'm having a little trouble from your pronunciation but but um viviceptual but, but but the ones that i can make out are actually real words yeah there uh, and he says 15 minutes a day devoted to writing down such words will not only provide you with a vocabulary but will also give you writer's cramp <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is, uh, absolutely out of context would be hundred percent impenetrable. I'm convinced to any, you know, student, if you'd never heard of Dwayne W. Rimmel, um, I very much doubt unless you were already primed in some way that you would connect it with, um, uh, cosmicism or Lovecraftian viewpoints or anything like that. But I think um, as you point out, the, the, the name of the magazine, the Fantagraph, is um, is it, it is a um, science fiction and uh, weird fiction fanzine, um, and and so that allows a way in to approach it. Um, I often, when I find uh, a story or a cover, especially with the word "thing" in it, I tweet it at my friend Marissa um, because. The word thing does the same job as it or they or them. It tells us nothing other than there is something. <laughs> and uh, that is mysterious and uh, interesting. And so it's not a hu- it's not a her prayer or his prayer. It's its prayer. And yes. it can't pray as far mm. as we know, right? Uh, rocks don't pray and tables don't pray. So what defining what it is is, is difficult, but... There is certainly striving, and we can see what is praying for, I think, in the in the reading of the story. And it starts with a hand, a grisly hand raised to the sky in awful supplication. Now, awful could mean uh, terrible, but it could also mean uh, full of awe. Weaving Absolutely. dreams of elder worlds with rhythmic incantation. This is what you do with a hand, right? It, you You cast a spell at least some kinds of spells, spectral fingers clutched in vain at entities unbounded. What are those entities? I don't know. 
but it's got fingers, where stars spawn swirl in endless night. The, in this, this the only printing of this, this um, poem. It's actually hard to read because the the spacing is very small. Where star spawn, that is separate enough. Swirl in. There's no space between the word swirl and in. So it's almost like swirling. And then the space between in and endless is is minuscule. Where star spawn swirling endless night through spaces yet unsounded. Now, unsounded, obviously space is unsounded, outer space. But here, it's not been measured. And what's going on? Like, we're getting this reaching up from the planet surface, right? Reaching up. That's what what I'm picturing is a hand reaching up from the planet surface. Weak limbs rise and sway and fall upon a lifeless planet and strive with fruitless straining arms to reach the void and span it. This thing, whatever it is, has a hand, fingers, an arm, limbs, to reach the void and span it. The hand is graven in the earth. Now, graven sounds like grave, so it makes you think it's dead, and the world indeed is lifeless, right? But also, it means cut or written in the earth in mold that never darkens. I'm not sure what that means, but mold means shape as well as as a kind of growth. Save when it wrenches free to it save when it wrenches free its hold or to the west wind hearkens. Now, that I'm thinking you you're going to be able to help me out with this the west wind hearkening thing, but hearken is listen. It flaps about and stretches up into the cloudy distance. So that, again, makes me think of the sky with a cloudy distance, but cannot reach those nightmare realms without a ghoul's assistance. Now, that that word is the one key, I think, for any non-Lovecraftian person reading this to key into, um, because a very famous story by Lovecraft called The Outsider ends with uh, talk of ghouls, and he didn't originate ghouls, or anything like that, but he certainly brought them back into a kind of um, attention in the 20th century. And yet, at last, it soared indeed, all stars and worlds eluding, this thing men thought a wind-torn weed. Again, there's no spacing between wind-torn and weed through two long weeks of brooding. Again, I'm not 100% sure what's going on in the last year, if we try putting on what, what, replacing the word it with something else, um, it's it's not a bicycle, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's not a cup of coffee. It is something alive. It is something that is striving and reaching. Um, so, I was thinking it was a plant at first. You know, plants reach for the sky. They reach for the sunlight. Um, but you don't usually call them like, and and they do have branches that could be called limbs, right? And they're, you know, a tree has, uh, in the winter, it has something that could be mistaken for fingers, I suppose. Um, but 
I think maybe that's too specific. And I was thinking it could just be life. And if you look at that at that way, it not only includes plants, but it also includes humanity. Even though humanity is, you know, mentioned in the final stanza. This thing men thought, a wind-torn weed. So I'm not 100% sure what to make of it, but I see it as, as the, the growth of life away from the, the unconscious to the conscious, away, away from the surface of the earth to the outstretched arm of the universe. It's almost like it could be a precursor to you know, the Apollo program, a, a prayer for the Apollo program, a striving... <laughs> for humans like to reach an ISIS program yeah to reach to reach beyond what is is you know to your reach ex- exceeding your grasp sort of thing and I, I and looking at it that way i think it's quite beautiful i think it's it's grisly um maybe i think that because that's the first mm-hmm. really potent word we see in the poem uh I I sense all of those things that you're speaking of. I come with a slightly different sense of the poem as a whole. Uh, the last word, brooding, has at least two meanings, as do so many of the words that you already pointed to, Jesse. Um, to brood means to worry at great length, but it also means to tend to eggs until they hatch. Um, what we see here with the hand that's graven in the earth, um, this hand is written into the earth, but the, the word grave doesn't just mean to write. It, it comes from a proto-Indo-European root, meaning to scratch. Um, and so it's buried in the earth. It's engraved into the earth, but it's also engraved in the earth. Uh, this hand I think is buried. This, this it, this, this, and by the way, there are other languages like German in which one can use as in English, you can use the word one, one can use the word one and avoid gendering the pronoun, just as in German, one can use the word man for neither male nor female, but all humans. And in fact, there are nouns that are, are neuter. Uh, rather than just male and female, as they are in Romance languages. Uh, so I'm not so concerned that it has to be, you know, uh, something we can't talk about. Uh, but I do realize that when we look at a sea anemone, it looks like a plant. And when we look like some, when we look at some uh, plants, um, they look like animals. And there is a kind of indistinct specificity. Uh, It is specifically indistinct, is what I mean to say, about some sorts of life. And this seems to be one of those sorts of life. Now, I get the sense that, that this thing, which needs to wrench its hand out of Uh, the mold that is in the earth in which it is graven, or pull itself up um, 
when it feels the west wind coming, that is the the movement, if it's in unearthly terms, um, the movement of time, right? We hear the west approaching us. That's where the sun sets. Um, so we, to stay young, we must move off to the west. And that's a motif in European literature as well as American literature. Uh, you can only do this. You can only pull yourself out of this grave in earth. You can, your hand can only reach beyond and try to span uh, the void after brooding. But the brooding doesn't work without a ghoul's assistance. Now, a ghoul is not just any old crummy evil thing. It is specifically a word from Arabic. I remind you again of the putative author of the Necronomicon, the mad Arab Abdel al-Hazred. It is a word from Arabic that first enters the English language in Beckford's uh, novel Vatek, which is um, sometimes thought of as the second um, true Gothic novel, the first one being um, Walpole's The Castle of Otranto. And in Vatek, we learn of the ghouls, which is from Arabic, and it is specifically an evil spirit that robs graves and feeds on corpses. When I realized that we need the ghoul's assistance for this brooding to become productive, I began to see this as a cycle in which, for instance, a wasp lays its eggs in another insect, which then, as they grow, eat the other insect, mm -hmm. and then burst through at the end. The ghoul needs to make it possible for this it to leave the planet and go back into the void, not to leap across it, but in fact to span it like a bridge. It encompasses all of the void. So who is speaking? A grisly hand raised to the sky in awful supplication it may be that it is awful in the eye of the, the supplicator. He is full of, or it is full of awe, but it is awful in the sense of terrifying mm -hmm. to the, the person who is narrating this story, who realizes what's going on and is saying, look, it, it raises itself. It's praying for something. It's trying to make sense of things, weaving the dreams of elder worlds. It's got rhythm. It has song, incantation. It's got these fingers, but they clutch in vain at entities unbounded. Well, how can you reach them? How can you clutch them if they have no edges to hang on to? These live where star spawn swirl in endless night. There's beings that have the, the offspring of the stars through space yet unsounded, meaning, as you suggested, of course, that we don't know the, the, the measure of it, but it also means there are no sounds. Mm -hmm. right? It has no name. It's the exact opposite of the word incantation, which ends the previous quatrain. So as I read this and think of this as Huh, the word life seems odd here, but see it as the life cycle of some 
horrible universe inhabiting boundless force that wants only to go back to the elder worlds and itself just feel um, that it can arise out of lifelessness to create what? The life that is mold? This thing lives only by dying and being consumed by a ghoul so that out comes from the ghoul's consumption the new possibility of this thing leaving and going out into space. It is a kind of horrific symbiosis Mm -hmm. that when it succeeds answers the prayer of something that would fill and terrify the entire universe. Um, So that they are too long, that is overly long weeks of brooding, seems to me, not from the viewpoint of the speaker who saw this as a terrible supplication, but in fact from the viewpoint of the awful supplicator um, who did not want to have to wait. There is an urgency in the desire to leave the lifeless planet and span the void. Um, That's what its prayer is. It's praying to be eaten by death, Mm -hmm. find a new life. Yep. And I I must say that uh, in a strange way, this resonates with the desire that many medieval Christians seem to have for martyrdom leading to sainthood. Right. Right. It invites death as productive of life in the heavens. It's uh, it's interesting to me that the word prayer is the is in, right in the title. It's it's in the supplication um, because we don't normally like if if my theory is right. It, it is life, which I'm not sure is even provable or, or necessary to even, you know, interpret it that one way. But if, if that was the case, um, it's almost like it makes me think, I think the tie here for me in, in prayer is that life has DNA. DNA wants stuff. It seems to want things. And it gets things when it takes in uh, proteins and it uh, does its its replication. It's trying to form things and shape things seemingly for purpose. And yet it is dumb. It is n- not with purpose itself. And yet it seems to gain purpose out of nothing. And and that kind of strangeness is, is life... Uh, doesn't have prayer built into this DNA, but it's another way of looking at what, what, you know, why do, uh, this is a very simple question, why do uh, plants reach for the sky? Well, they're phototropic, we are told, right? And what makes them phototropic? Well, they're DNA, right? But why? Because it needs more light for more life. And that's it. And this reaching, this uh, this endless reaching for the sky and the competition to reach for the sky 
seems without purpose, but it is nevertheless something that plants do, and if they don't, they die. And I I think that's why I find it so interesting is because it's a bringing together of the brutally cosmic truth about the universe that it doesn't care about you and it it wants to kill you um with the with the brutal cosmic truth about you you know life which is it doesn't care what you want it wants to replicate itself and you being part of that process as a human being um maybe makes the last stanza make more sense now and yet at last it soared indeed and all stars and worlds eluding this thing men thought a wind torn weed through two long weeks of brooding the brooding that last line the word you 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 defined it correctly i try to make my uh, explanations to my students very um graphic and so when i tell the story of the word brooding i tell it two ways one is the chickens sitting on their eggs and how they're much quieter uh, when they're sitting on their eggs than they are when they're running around the barnyard pecking at, you know, bugs and such, and how they become quiet and brooding. In fact, that's how the two words come together. But I will also say, you brood, my students, when your mom, you ask your mom for something and she says no, and that really upsets you, and you run up to your room and you're quiet to punish her. So when she calls you down for dinner or breakfast or whatever and you punish her by not saying anything (laughs) this kind of brooding is is like making evil plans by being quiet it's it's not a happy life but i do see it as a life cycle being discussed um i i like the the notion i think that dawkins has it uh, actually says it in the selfish gene that the chicken is the egg's way of reproducing itself right um, we, we see chickens as creatures, but eggs just sit there. Yep. Um, brooding. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, grizzly hand, uh, th- this is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of scrawny fingers and I see them waving almost like, uh, sea fronds. Um, in rhythmic incantation, spectral fingers clutching in vain. I actually find myself mimicking the, mm-hmm. the motions of the words. And then I stick one hand down and feel it graven in the earth. And then the other up, feeling the west wind. And then when the ghoul comes and eats me, um, the spawn of that ghoul that star spawn goes up and eludes all light, all, all stars and worlds. And that, that weed, that unwanted thing, um, becomes life again, uh, or whatever kind of life this has until eventually, I suppose it doesn't elude and it lands on a planet and graves itself into the surface and waits for another ghoul to come mm-hmm. fertilize it. It's uh, it's a it's a science fiction poem in a certain sense, isn't it? Yeah, but it wants, as you say, it wants to live. 
So its prayer is one of its own desire. And in, in some terrible way, it is not far from the desires of the egg to reproduce in the chicken or us to have children or, as you say, plants to turn toward the sun. Although not all plants do that, of course. There are <laughs> things like the, uh, the passion fruit, that, passion flower that only open at night. I think this deserves uh, more attention than the one publication it got. I hope people do read it and come to th- see some something in it, because I, I think we've certainly found something in it. Well, indeed. And if it is republished, uh, there will always be more to say. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.